Let me pray for us, and I'll read from Luke 14. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful today to be able to gather in this place, worship you, sing songs from the heart of our love for Christ, our gratitude to you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do for your people. We ask, Lord, that you would settle our hearts to listen, to hear the call of discipleship uh, that Jesus has given to us, and may we follow him in the way that he asks. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matt, could you shut that door right there, please? Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. My aim in this message this morning is to present these words from Jesus and allow what he says to challenge you concerning your own discipleship, the way that you are seeking to follow him. And so my hope is that as we begin a new year together, that all of us here will examine our relationship to Jesus Christ and anything that is out of place or not thought through, not submitted to his lordship, that it would be corrected for the good of your soul, for the good of this church, for the good of your neighbors, and the growth of Christ's kingdom. Luke, the man who wrote these words down, he tells us that at this particular time in Jesus' ministry, as he was making his way toward Jerusalem, he says here that great crowds accompanied him. Great crowds Jesus was not a man to be impressed with great crowds. He understood crowds. He understood that there were all sorts of people who made up those crowds. We would say probably many, if not most, of those people who were following after him on this particular day, they would have been there to see the man who was the miracle-working prophet. They came to see the show. They'd heard about the show, so they come out and they want to see what this man can do. They weren't necessarily looking for a transformed life. Repentance from sin was probably not the first thing that was on 
their minds. I think glorifying God certainly would have been the mix for some of them, but many or most of them would have been just satisfied to come and see the miracles and then make their way back home. Jesus knows all this. He knows the makeup of the crowds. He knows the particular kinds of people who are there. So he turns around to those who were following him and he says some shocking words, does he not? He says things like, if you do not hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, it's pretty shocking. We don't hear things like that out of the mouth of Jesus very often, do we? He then says that we are to take up our cross. We understand what the cross was, the instrument of death that it was. He says also that we are to renounce everything that we have. And if we do not do these things, he says you cannot be his disciple. They are some shocking words. But before we get to those a little more, notice here what Jesus is calling. Notice what he's seeking. It says that he is seeking disciples. That's what Jesus came for. He's not come to collect a crowd. He certainly knew how to do that, didn't he? He knew how to collect a crowd. But that wasn't his aim. Jesus came to call disciples. And all these years later, we have various words that we use to describe what it means to follow Jesus. I think the most common would be of the people in this room, if somebody were to ask what you are, what is your religion, you would say, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. Probably the most likely term we would give. Some of you might say, I'm a follower of Christ. But the word that Jesus uses here to describe those who belong to him is disciple. He says that three times. Three times. In this passage, that word comes from him about those who will be the people who distinguish themselves from the crowd to know and follow him, serve him in life. This is the calling of any person who calls his or herself a Christian. And so if you think of yourself as a Christian or as a disciple this morning, you need to hear what Jesus himself, what he says about this term or what he is calling you and calling me to. You'll also see three times in this passage the words, cannot be my disciple. That's specifically what he says. He is giving us three qualifications for discipleship. Look with me first in verse 26. These are his qualifications. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So he's saying that is a qualification for following him. Next, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then in verse 33, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Discipleship requires that Jesus is the top priority, that he's first. 
That's clear in each one of these sayings. In that first one, he is telling us that a disciple's primary relationship is Jesus. He is your primary relationship if you are a disciple. And you might be concerned about the language that he uses here. He says you must hate your father, mother, wife, children, and all the rest to be his disciple. But nowhere else does Jesus or any one of the teachings in the New Testament tell us to hate anyone. In fact, Jesus commands his people to love their enemies just as their Father in heaven loves his enemies. Everywhere else we are told that others who know Jesus will be known by the love that they have. So do we really think that here hate is supposed to characterize our most important earthly relationships? No, it does not. We are being told that there is such a wholehearted love for Christ that all other loves will fail in comparison. That there will be such great love for Him that all other loves will look like hate in a sense as they are held up next to the love that you have for Jesus. So we are being told here that for the disciple, the one who truly belongs to him, that Jesus becomes your chief love, your first love. In the second statement, we see that a disciple puts Christ above self. A disciple puts Christ above self. He even says that there in the first one. He even says, and yes, even hate his own life, but then goes on to say that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said almost the same exact phrase back in chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He's talking about self-denial. He's asking, what is it that you are wanting or expecting out of life? What are your aspirations? What are your ambitions? What are your aims? That all of these, whatever they are for you, that they must be brought to Jesus, laid at the feet of Jesus, and then shaped by Jesus. And the faithful heart who knows who his Savior is understands that Jesus is better equipped than you are to handle your business. He's better equipped than you are to handle your dreams to give you the right pursuits, you can trust them to him. He's your good shepherd. That's what we confess, is it not? We confess that he is our good shepherd, but will we let him lead us? Do we really think that he knows better than we do what we really need in life? I think sometimes we forget that, don't we? I know I do. We call ourselves disciples, but we don't ask Jesus to lead our own hearts. We don't involve him in the decisions that we make. We act 
And then we'll often just ask him to bless what we've chosen to do. Like, oh, gosh, I didn't even consult him. Let me ask him now to bless this huge mistake that I have made. That's not discipleship. Self, we're being told here, submits to Christ. Self asks for his guidance in everything. The cross was the symbol that demonstrated that a man was to die, in a sense, by following Christ. He laid down his life to follow Jesus. Prideful self-sufficiency, prideful self-absorption, to make much of me, to do what I want to do, make demands out of life. All of these were to be crucified as a person linked up with Jesus. So we're told here that a disciple puts Christ above other relationships, that Christ puts, we put Christ above ourselves. But lastly, Jesus says that a disciple must put him above all that he has, everything he owns. It has something to do with our treasure and what we treasure. He says, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so, brothers and sisters, he's saying that you are no longer defined. You're no longer defined by what you have or by whatever accolades you have accomplished in life. Nor is your security to be found in anything that you own. So whatever you possess, whatever it was that gave definition to your life, no longer defines you. You belong to Christ, and everything that is in your hands, everything that you hold on to, everything that you possess, you now understand that your things are in the hands of Christ. And through you, he will use what you have to bless others, to bless you, and to grow his kingdom. Everything that you own is under the lordship of Jesus, and he'll give you direction on how you are now to steward it. So in a sense, you've, you're no longer an owner of anything. Jesus owns everything. You're a steward of it to care for what he has. So those are the three qualifications that Jesus gives for what a disciple is called to be. Do you find those challenging? No? I do. It was a prestigious thing back in those days to become a disciple of a well-known teacher. But other well-known teachers, they didn't make demands like this. Like, I'm sure they made demands. I'm sure there were requirements in order to become a follower of a particular person but not like this. It's pretty clear that to become a disciple of Jesus is to receive a completely new identity. Do you see that there? That you're no longer to be defined by your family. You inherited a lot of good things from your family, right? You're grateful for your family. You still want to serve and honor your family. 
but you're no longer defined by your family. We have an individualistic society where we live. But in Jesus' day, in other parts of the world, your family really did or does still define you. Family is where you find your place, your identity, your marching orders. But that gets transformed when you come to Jesus. We're being told here that you're no longer defined by what you have or where you live or what you do for a living. Now, I'm a, I'm a man, right? And often men, when they meet one another, they say, what do you do? And essentially what they're asking is, is that's what's the most important thing about you? What do you do? What is your vocation? How do you make your living? And it is an important thing about us, is it not? But it's not the most important thing about us anymore. So we're not defined by what we do for a living. We're not defined by our hobbies, our interests, our other loves. And I don't say this in jest, but here in Buffalo, it's a serious thing. But your primary passion in life is no longer to be a Buffalo Bills fan. I'm sorry. But truly, like I grew up in a place where there are rabid fans of various sports teams. And life begins to revolve around what happens with the sports team. That is certainly the case in Buffalo, but that is not to be the case with a disciple of Jesus Christ. No way. Enjoy it. Receive it as a blessing. But boy, it can become an idol. So you're not defined by that anymore. Old loves find a new place in the pecking order of life. So they may still be there, but they will have a rightly ordered spot behind Jesus. He will give direction to that. He has become your life. I mean, what did we sing a few minutes ago? I mean, think about the songs that we sing. And sometimes we should ask, do they reflect, do they reflect what my heart really is saying or am I just regurgitating the words? All I have is Christ. You sang that. Jesus is my life. And then you said hallelujah. Amen. And repeated it and repeated it. But is it true? Is it true? I like how one man puts this about the priority of Jesus. He says, discipleship is not periodic volunteer work on one's own terms and at one's convenience. But it can become that, can't it? Volunteer work. When I've got time, I'll follow Jesus. No, for the disciple, Christ has become the driving force of your life, not something that you focus on in your spare time. And if that is what discipleship has become for you, a hobby, you need to take a look at what Jesus says here and reconsider your relationship to him. He will not 
be an add-on or an upgrade. We get upgrades for everything now. You want to you supersize that? You want an upgrade? You want to add on to your TV package? You can just add on to anything nowadays. And in some ways, we could treat Jesus like that. He's just an add-on or an upgrade that just makes me a better me. Why wouldn't I want that upgrade? But what we're being told here is that Jesus makes you a new you, a completely new you that's better than the old you. I think all other analogies will probably fail at some point or another, but one that might be helpful to some of the people here in this room is the oath that men and women take to join the armed services. How many of you all took an oath at some point? You stood in front of an American flag. We've got about six of us here, seven, eight, Paul down here, yep, some in the back. Stood in front of an American flag and gave an oath. It sounded something like this. I, Russ Peck, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. I'm surprised they even have that there at the end of it anymore. So help me God. And when that person joins the military in some way, and some of you all know this, you lose your identity. It's gone. You keep your last name. Did you, were you even known by your first name in the military? Did anybody even know your first name? I didn't know mine, except the people that I told it to. Atwood. That's all I was. You lose your identity. You lose all the things that you brought with you. They store them away nicely in boot camp until you get them back, but you're not going to see them again. You lose your hair. You know, some of us are still doing that. It's gone. You become the property of whatever branch of the military that you join. You then spend weeks, months maybe, being trained, being disciplined undoing or unlearning all the things that you learned in the first 18, 20, 25 years of your life to make you into a soldier, Navy guy, airman, Marine, whatever you were. But there you receive a new identity for the good of your country, not necessarily for the good of yourself because you don't matter anymore. <laughs> I know it's only an illustration because... The United States military does not love you and sacrifice for you like Jesus has. And I know that's all that I've really communicated up until this point is that the requirements that Jesus gives for those who will follow him. And then he goes on to illustrate his point by comparing discipleship to the cost that a person has to consider when he starts to build a house or a barn or a tower or whatever it was exactly he was describing. And then the cost that a general has to make when he's only got 10,000 troops and he's about to go to war against 20,000. Am I willing to pay the price in life or lives? In the battle that's about to take place, Jesus compares following him to the cost that must be counted. 
And there is a cost to following Christ, complete dependence on him, submission to him, my life laid at his feet, things must change. And so anybody that calls himself a disciple of Jesus and nothing's really changed except you call yourself a Christian, you are not a disciple. But what also needs to be said alongside these demands for discipleship is when seen in the right light, When seen in the right light, understanding who Jesus is, Jesus' disciples will not think commitment to him as loss, but gain. They will not think that they've lost anything or that they've given up anything of real value if they have him. Because Jesus, Jesus becomes their chief treasure. And everything is now seen in the light of having Christ That's the mindset of a disciple. He and all that he promises, everything that he says that he is for you, that is attractive enough to commit your whole life to and maybe even lose your life for. I mean literally lose your life for. Every disciple is called to lose his or her life. I think far too often discipleship or What we might just call Christianity is seen as losing the good things in life. All the fun that I used to have and lament, oh, this is what I used to be, and giving it up for the drabness of holiness. All the joy is gone, or like the song said, the thrill is gone. Sometimes that's how you hear people describe Christianity, is it not? Oh, how sad. What a terrible picture of discipleship to paint, to make life with Christ all about the filth that I don't get to do anymore. But if we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is my creator, he's the one that made me, but he has also made the thing called joy, he made that too. He created me for a purpose of perfect fulfillment. To understand true joy, lasting happiness, however you want to call it, satisfaction. He created that. He made that. And so how broken must my thinking be? If I believe that in following him, my creator, my savior, that I will miss out on the good life. That's ridiculous. If I'm seeing things correctly... For the good of my own soul, I will lay down the plow. I will stow away my fishing nets. And I will stand up from my tax booth to follow Jesus. To really, as he describes here, start following Jesus. True purpose in life is found under the good, caring, kind lordship of Jesus. To be rebuilt from the ground up. That's what they, again, boot camp was often thought of. You know, it breaks you down, you lose everything, and they build you back up. And so to be rebuilt from the ground up by Jesus is worth it. That's where joy is. So I want you to consider 
your own life, the way that you live right now? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ in the way that he describes discipleship here? Is he primary? Is he the chief thing in every compartment of your life? We have a tendency to do that, do we not? We compartmentalize our lives into various areas and roles. Is he the chief thing in each one of those? Is he the thread that runs through them all? Every role that you have, every relationship that you have, every desire that you have, how you steward your possessions and your money. Is that how you think? Do you consider Christ what honors him, pleases him? Because you belong to him. He's your life. If he's your life, you've got to consider him, don't you? Is that how you think? daily about all of these roles and compartments. Is Jesus truly what we would call Lord? We call him Lord. That comes out of our mouths very easily. Lord, but think about what that means, that he's your Lord. He's Lord of all. All of me. All of the world. This is how he describes discipleship. Not how we choose to think of it. This is what he says it is. That he becomes your all in all. I've got a little bit of homework for you. I've got three primary questions that illustrate the points that Jesus is making here. And when you're having your time with the Lord this week, I, I want you to bring up, if possible, these three questions and think on them. Number one, what are my roles in life? What are my roles? What are the various areas that God has called me to of responsibility? Husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, friend, worker, son-in-law, daughter-in-law. What are your roles? And what does Jesus have to say about these? So if you're a husband, what is it that Jesus has to say about being a husband? What does that look like as a follower of Christ? If you're a worker, when you go to your workplace, what does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully as a disciple there? There are things that we're told. There's principles all over the Bible that teach us what it looks like to live faithfully as a child of God. Consider those. Number two, what things do I possess? What are the things in life that I consider to be mine? What are mine? <laughs> what do I say mine about? Your money. Your property, your cars, your toys, your time, your abilities even. What does Jesus have to say about how a disciple is supposed to handle all that he or she possesses? 
And I guess then what you are to do is then compare it truly. I mean, there's no progress to be made by lying to ourselves, is it? So when you take that, what Jesus says, and you hold it up next to what you are doing, how you are living, what needs to be corrected? If you are going to live as a disciple, a disciple, a real disciple of Jesus Christ. Lastly, what are my desires, ambitions, aims? Like, what is my life about? What am I progressing toward? What are my goals? What am I trying to do and accomplish in life? Where am I going? What do I want for myself? Same thing. First of all, can we say that all of those desires are secondary to Christ as far as my treasure, my pursuit? And is he shaping them? Am I asking him to shape my heart and my desires? Or am I just pursuing them and saying, bless it, Jesus, bless it, that's where I'm going. Are all of these things rightly ordered under the lordship of Christ? Are they thought through at all? Are they examined? Is your life examined? Do you see that following Jesus is your chief purpose in life that gives color to everything else? I can promise you this because Jesus promises you this. That if this is how you live as a true disciple, Jesus will not give you a second-rate life. To say it another way, Whatever you submit or give to Jesus will not be loss. You'll not think of it as lost at all. Whatever we give or give up for his sake is going to be replaced by something far better and lasting. It'll last forever. And what you'll find is that all of your relationships, if they are thought through like this, They will have their true purpose. You will, you will be a better husband or wife. You just will. Doesn't mean it's going to be easier. In fact, it'll be harder. It's a lot easier just to go with the flow, isn't it? (sighs) Whatever's easiest, that's, I don't, you know, I don't want my, my home to be challenging. Happy wife, happy life, you know. That's how I'm, or whatever it is for a husband, I don't know. No, I follow Christ, and he gives purpose to my home. I will be the husband he calls me to be. Today, it will start. I want to be a disciple there. I want to parent my children in the way that Jesus calls me to parent them. That is hard in this world, is it not? And I guarantee you, The fleshly aspects that are still inside of all of us, they will push back. I will push back. I just want to be comfortable, man. I want to sit on my fluffy couch at night, watch TV, eat a bowl of cereal and be left alone. Whatever that looks like for you, right? I just want to do my thing. (laughs) But Jesus makes demands of me. 
And he's saying that whatever he calls me to is better than what I would settle for myself. So there's going to be war inside here. There's going to be war in a way with my, my wife, thankful that we're on the same page with these things. My children are going to push back, guarantee it. I have to imagine, though, when you go to work, if you are working as to the Lord, your employer is going to appreciate that. Unless he's asking you to do something evil. He's not. Because you won't. You just get fired, and that's okay. Jesus, take care of you. So you're going to be better at the roles that you have been given. You're going to be freed from the bondage of possessions and money. You will not be a slave to them anymore. Jesus will set you free of that when you give it all to him. He'll take care of you. Maybe not have the life and the picket fence and the big house or whatever it is that your ambitions were before, but he will give you everything you need and joy along with it. You will not have lost in the game of life. Your ambitions are going to be laser focused. You will be more wise. You will know when to say yes and you will know when to say no if you're following Christ. You will be free to live as you were created to live under King Jesus for your good and for his glory. You will not be disappointed. And if this, this is what Jesus is talking about here, if this would be the commitment of this whole church to seek Christ with our whole hearts, with this kind of biblical discipleship, this place would be turned upside down. And so would our homes, so would our neighborhoods, so would our workplaces. New ministries would start. A new hunger would be here for God's word. Prayer, prayer would be a priority in everybody's life. Needs would be met. Love would grow. The gospel would be shared. On and on and on, the good that would come from this. Because we commit ourselves to be real disciples of Jesus Christ. What the Lord is describing here, disciples. Not some cushier alternative, which isn't really an alternative at all. Not a cultural Christian. Not a convenient Christian. No this is the only kind of disciple that Jesus calls. One who is all in. So the question for each one of us this morning is, will you follow him? Will you be his disciple? Heavenly Father, this is a high calling. Jesus gave his life for disciples new creatures. And we pray, God, that you would give this church the strength to live like this every day, that Jesus is first, and that we would have a faith in him, a trust in him, that he will always do what is best for us when we lay it all at his feet. So lead us, Father, to die to self that Jesus would be our chief love and that by him being our chief love, my loves for others will be far better. I will be a better husband. I will love my wife better if I love Christ first. I'll be a better dad 
I'll be a better pastor. I'll be a better friend. I'll be a better worker in all things. I'll be better than I was. I'll be new. I pray your blessing on each person here that we would have hearts that are committed to this very thing. And whatever else that we might have called discipleship leading up to this, that we would leave it behind as children leave behind their toys. And we will grow to maturity as a church and that in 2023, this year, that you would do amazing things in this place because your people are all in with Christ. Have our hearts, we ask God. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory, for his kingdom and our good. Amen. If you would please stand to your feet.